we have been talking about a series about influence and influencing, talking about affecting the life of other people. And so if you look at the mission statement, sending transformed people, there's a purpose to influence their world for Christ. So what does influence mean? Well, we looked at a, a definition of influence and said it's an effect of one person on another. It's to move a person to action. Uh, we have used uh, this Newton's cradle over here as an illustration of, of how one person affects another person. And if you, you take this sphere back and it hits and all of a sudden you see that there's an impact being made in someone's life. There's a, there's a movement, there's a change, there's an action that takes place. And so we're called to go out into our world and we're to influence them for Christ. And there are different spheres of activity, different spheres of influence that we have. And we've taken a look at our sphere of influence here in, at the church. Uh, we've also taken a look at, at, uh, at work and at home. And today we're going to drive it down to talk about school. Now, when you talk about influence at school, I realize that we've got people here that are in all different areas, not just these high school graduates and college graduates. You see, when you're talking about a sphere of influence and it changing, in the next few months, it will change everywhere from kindergartners all the way to college graduates. Because everybody will go up a next grade, and some people will go from kindergarten to elementary school, from some elementary school to middle school, from middle school to high school, high school to college, college to grad school, and on like that. And all these places that you go, there's a new sphere of influence. We've got some college students that walked across here that we recognize that they will be going from here and they'll be going to grad school. All of a sudden, you're in a new sphere of activity, a new sphere of influence. Some of the college graduates that walked across here will be stepping into jobs for their first time and their parents are cheering. And, and that's a whole new sphere of influence for them. And then you've got some people that walked across stage that are college graduates have absolutely no idea what they're going to do. That's a whole different sermon. We're not going to go there right now. But... There are different spheres of influence. And for high school students, for those who just graduated and getting ready to take that step towards college, you are going into a whole new sphere of activity and a whole new sphere of influence. High school is past, college is here. Now all of a sudden, you're heading into a whole new sphere of influence. The question is, how is God going to use you? Your goal for when you go to these new spheres of influence is for you to realize that you have been appointed by God for you to maximize and multiply your influence for the kingdom and for the glory of God. This is what you're called to do. This is what I'm called to do. And your call, as we focus in, is this next chapter of your life. Wow. Well, to get you ready for that, I'm going to share a, a, a message that we're going to zero in on those that are graduating, but it really applies to all of us. And all of the truths that we see here are not just something that you say, well, if I was 17 or 18, then I would apply that. No, this is for all of us. And I want to take you to the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel talks about four teenagers who had to make some choices. Four teenagers, some people believe they were like 15, 16, maybe 17 years of age at the most, who were getting ready to be placed into a whole new sphere of activity. Uh, they were living in Jerusalem, and they were the tribe of Judah, and uh, the Babylonians came in and began to take them over. And when they laid siege on the city, Nebuchadnezzar, who was their king, said, let's go in and let's get the best and the brightest, and let's bring those young people out of Judah, take them 900 miles and bring them to Babylon. 
And when we bring those teenagers to Babylon, we want to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian way of life. We will train them in our Babylonian schools so they will understand what it means to be Babylonian. We will teach them our cultures, they will eat our foods, and we'll even change their names. And no longer will they have Jewish names, they will have Babylonian names. We want them to be Babylonian. And we're going to train the best and the brightest so that one day they will be able to be in our government, in our service, and they will help us. And they will be great leaders within our country. And so that's the way it was set up for him. And if you look in Daniel chapter 1, in verse 4, he lays it out. And he says, I want you to get use without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Same thing as Babylonians, all right? The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So you go into a three-year training program. At the end of that, you then stand before the king. And he looks at you and evaluates you. And he says, and among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he calls Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And so here these guys are. This group, there's a large group of them that they brought from Judah, but they're focusing in on these four. And on these four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to use the new names that they have, this is who they're, they're focusing on. But in verse 8... You come to a, a change in the story. Verses four through seven is you college, is you high school graduates going to college. Uh, this is you. You're getting ready to go somewhere. You'll be there for a number of years. Could be four years, five, some six. Who knows? Uh, you could be there, you know, for a while. You're going through college. It's new. You're learning. And, and you're going to be a part of that college scene. But in verse eight, it's a really strong verse. It, it turns the whole chapter. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He said, what does that mean? He's not going to defile himself with the wine. Well, the king said, what I will do is I will give you food from things that I eat, and I'll give you the wine from things that I drink, and this is what your meal will be. Well, God gave very specific dietary laws for his followers to follow. And so as a good Jew, they followed those dietary laws. There were certain foods they were not supposed to eat. Well, that was on the king's menu, and they were some uh, pork and other things that they weren't supposed to eat. The other thing was it had to be, um, that food had to be prepared a certain way. Well, the king didn't prepare it that way. He didn't drain the blood out of the meat like they had told him to do uh, there uh, with the dietary laws. And the other thing is oftentimes the food that was left over was food that was used for sacrifices to idols. So it was a part of pagan worship. And so you use food that was a part of pagan worship and then you turn around and give that food and allow these guys to eat that. 
And they understood, Daniel understood, that for him to eat anything that was used in worship or was not going against dietary laws was defilement. It was going against the Word of God, and it was something that he did not need to do. And so he knew it was wrong. And he said that he resolved in his heart not to be defiled, and he couldn't eat the food. But then the second part of that verse is even more important because it says, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He resolved in his heart what he needed to do, and then he took a step. And he went to the guy who was in charge, and he said, listen, I don't want to defile myself. Here's a statement that you need to remember. We talk about influence. Your influence will be determined by your response to what we call crossroad choices. Your influence, when you go to college, those who've graduated, you go into work or go to graduate school, and everybody says, ooh, well, I'm going here to be an influence for the Lord. Your influence will be determined by your response to crossroad choices. Now, crossroad choice, there will be a lot of choices you have to make when you get to college. When you get there, they'll determine you will live on campus, off campus. Do you want a meal plan, not a meal plan? Do you want to be in the Greek system, not in the Greek system? Do you want to be in intramurals or not intramurals? Uh, do you want to be a part of, of this club or this activity or whatever else on that? And you've got all these choices. But there are going to be a number of life choices that you have to make that will determine, will you want to go God's ways or do you want to go the world's ways? And these are what we call like crossroad choices. You'll come to a crossroads, and whenever you come to a crossroads, it means you got to go left or right. Got to go somewhere. I got to make that decision. And your influence on the campus, what influence you have and what influence you leave, leave will be determined by your responses to these crossroad choices. Now, I'm going to give you two things today. I'm going to give you some characteristics. What does a crossroad choice look like? And Jim can give you some counsel. After 60-something years of living, give you counsel on what God's Word says. How do you handle those crossroad choices? Characteristic of a crossroad choice. Number one is this. It's usually not a high-profile choice, and it's accompanied by paper-cut temptations. Stay with me. It's usually not a high-profile choices, and it is usually accompanied by paper-cut temptations. Most of the decisions you make in college will not gain a lot of attention in the public eye. A lot of these decisions that you're having to make in college, which you're going to be confronted with day in, day out, is not like the entire university is not going to be sitting there looking at you to see what you make. Whether you go to the University of Alabama, whether you go to Auburn, Sanford, wherever it may be, when you have a decision to make, the whole campus is not going to, oh, stop. What are you going to do? No. It's not a whole high-profile choice. It's just something through life. Daniel and his friends, they're just a bunch of teenagers, and they're making a stand about food that they eat in a three-year training program. Nobody else in Babylon even cares about the choices these guys are making. I mean, for everyone else, these are just small decisions that they're making. It's no big public major issue there in Babylon, but for them, it was a big deal. But for everyone else, it's not that big of a deal. And because of that, Satan usually has an opportunity to circle around and tell you it's not a big deal. So who knows and who cares if you eat the king's food? Nobody else is going to get, get uh, bent out of shape on this. Just let it go. Just compromise. 
just go on and compromise. This is not anything this big, high, high profile. This is what we call a paper cut temptation. Right. How many people here have ever gotten a paper cut? Raise your hand. How many here cut your, got a paper cut when you tore off the connection card? Just raise your hand. No. We've all had paper cuts. And when you get a paper cut, do you, does everything stop in the office and you tell everybody, I got a paper cut. Oh my gosh, I got a paper cut. No. You say paper cuts. Insignificant. It's just something small. Hey, I got a cut, I'll just move on. Paper cut temptations. There are these things that Satan brings along that as, as, as God begins to, to, to move you forward in life, you begin to follow his directions. He will allow you to be tempted by different things and allow, allow these temptations to come so he can try to help forge your life. And a lot of times there are just these little paper cut temptations and you'll get that paper cut temptation and it'll come and you'll go, well, should I go God's ways or the world's ways? Well, it's a small minor decision. I think I can just head the world's way. It's insignificant. It's small. However, what we learn from Daniel is there's no insignificant paper cut temptation. And to God, there's no insignificant crossroad choices, no insignificant paper cut temptation. Each choice shows your character and it tests your obedience. And though the choice may seem insignificant to you, it's God's way of taking all of these things and forging your life to a much greater impact down the road. Did you know that with a paper cut, that you could take something as simple as a paper cut and if you connect it with some diseased blood, it could go all the way through your system and shut down your entire immune system just from a paper cut. But see, Satan wants to constantly let you say, let you think, these little cuts, these little temptations, oh, just compromise here. Oh, just compromise there. Oh, just compromise this one and that one. But it's those small compromises that will add up over time and will determine the influence that you have on campus. It's going to be difficult for you to influence your world for Christ when you're not living for Christ. It'll be difficult for you to influence your campus for Christ. It'll be difficult for those that have graduated to influence their work sphere for Christ when you constantly give in to the temptations and compromise. And for David and them, for them, it was not a high profile it was a paper cut temptation, but it was important enough that he needed to step up and say, I can't, I can't defile myself. Number two, these crossroad choices will come without much warning and a short time to react. They'll come without much warning and a short time to react. I mean, no sooner had these guys gotten over into Babylon that they went to the cafeteria and they're walking through the cafeteria line and they're putting the king's food and the king's wine and all that on their tray and they got to make a call and they got to make a decision. And that call, that decision is, am I going to eat the food or am I not? What am I going to do? It's right there. There's not a lot of warning. Uh, there's, uh, there's just a short time to react. And this is what life's going to throw at you. I mean, you're going into a whole new setting and all of a sudden there's a whole new set of temptations or people pulling you this way, people pulling you that way and, and, and you just don't have time. It's gonna come out of nowhere. And, and you say, well, I wish I had a little bit more time to make this, make this decision. And uh, a lot of times we don't have that. I mean, you gotta be able to make the decision right there. A crossroads choice is typically a crisis choice where you've got to go with your instinct without a lot of time of planning or counsel. But what it will do, it will reflect the state of your heart and the depth of your character. 
It'll reflect the state of your heart and the depth of your character. And so when these little paper-cut temptations, when these crossroad choices come, when they come, you're in a position to operate from out of your heart. And it will reflect your character and your heart. Number three, it's intensified by peer pressure and freedom. These crossroad choices are intensified by peer pressure and freedom. Peer pressure. Now, they brought a lot of young men from Judah. It wasn't just these four because you read and it says there were others. So they brought these other young men and they came in and they're to eat, eat of this food. And uh, they're the only four guys that stepped up and said, you know what? I don't think we need to eat this food. Now, the rest of the buddies, you know, the same ones they went to church with, the same ones they went to high school with, the same ones they, play, same one they played sports with, the same one that they were in dance recitals, the same one they cheered with, the same ones they were on the dance team with, all of those, they said, big deal. It's just food. Come on, get in with it. Come on, King's meal. It's pretty good. It's better than mom cooks. This is good stuff. And they said, don't worry about that. Then you got these four over here saying, but that's a defilement. That goes against what, what God's word says. Oh, come on, it's just something minor. Come on. And then all of a sudden, you've got this peer pressure mounting. And as that peer pressure is mounting, you began to think, if you're one of those four, what does this mean for the rest of my life? Am I going to be labeled the loser over here? Is everybody going to look at me and say, you can't hang out with the cool guys? Well, I'll never have a date in all my years of college because I'm making this stand. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're on and on, and this peer pressure is building. And on top of it, you've got this incredible freedom. Man, those guys were 900 miles away from home. And they didn't even have cell phones at that time. So there was not like they'd watch a YouTube video and say, oh, can't believe you're eating a pork sandwich. No, 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 no. They had no idea. They didn't know. And they have all this freedom. And same thing with you. You're not living at home. Most of you won't be living at home. You'll be out there on campus. You're away from the house. And so I've got all this freedom. Mom and dad aren't there looking over my shoulder. I've got peer pressures coming in on this side. I've got freedom coming over here. I add these all together. Makes it pretty tough. And the last one is this. It defines who you are and where you go. Crossroad choice will define who you are and where you go. For Daniel, there was no such thing as a little compromise. Our lives are made up of choices that we make. There will be certain crossroads in your life at college that will make a permanent mark on you and it will define who you are and where you go. These are incredibly important four years. Do not buy the line where people say, hey, just go off to college, sow your wild oats, and then once you get out, everything will be all right. No, no. These are defining moments when you go to college. And as you go to college, you've got an opportunity to set a mark and head in the right direction that is just incredible. And how you determine that and how, you, how it gets defined as to who you are and where you go comes from those crossroad choices that you make throughout college. And as you begin to make those choices that line up with God's will and are keeping with his word, it will take you in a direction that you want to go. Now, what's so exciting about this is how Daniel approached this. Now, he's just a teenager, okay? And this is how he approaches this. In verse 9, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. He says, listen, 
If I don't feed you the same food I'm sitting over here and you get into this vegan diet or whatever it is that you're wanting to eat, if you start eating this, you're going to look scrawny and weak and these guys are going to look strong and the king's going to come to me and he says, why are these guys so scrawny? And I'm going to say, well, I changed the food and then it's going to be off with my head. And Daniel did not say, well, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Okay, I'll defile myself. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Let's do a taste and see. 10 days, just give me 10 days. You feed us the diet that I'm asking you to feed us. You feed everybody else the same thing you've been feeding them. After 10 days, let's take a look. If we're healthier than they are, praise the Lord. If we're not, we'll go back to the king's meal. All right, you make the call. And he says, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. That's a good word. Fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. I mean, these cows were looking good. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. Wow. So he said, okay, it worked. You made the stand. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're to give you this. But now verses 17 through 20, it defines who you are and where you go. Look at verses 17 through 20. And as for these four use, don't talk about any of the other guys. As for these four use. God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Do you know what they did? They took a paper-cut temptation, they took a crossroad choice, and they didn't compromise, and they went the direction that they felt that, that God was leading them because they took it straight out of the, the word that God had given to Moses on the dietary laws, and they said, we're going to follow those. It goes against what the world says. It goes against what uh, the Babylon says, but we're going to stick with God's word. And when they did, it says God began to see favor on them, and he gave them learning and skill in all these different areas. God honored their obedience. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in to the chief, brought in, the chief of eunuchs is brought them in, the chief of eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And he, and the king, excuse me, spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. I just love that phrase. Therefore, they stood before the king. Now, they didn't bow to the food, and they ended up standing before the king. And they stood. And what that phrase means, they stood before the king, is he said, I, I'll hire you. I'll put you into service over here. Because they saw a difference in these guys. And let me tell you, the difference was not just because, hey, they ate a different diet and they looked better. He saw the wisdom that they had. When he talked to them, there was something different about them. Because you see, at all the crossroad choices came, they weren't compromising. When the paper cut temptations came, they didn't just write that off and say, well, let's just give in to that. It's just small. It's just a paper cut. No. They said, I'm going to stick with God's word. I'm going to stay that direction. I'm going to follow his leadership. And then it says in, the, in, in verse 20, it says, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. He honored their obedience. Listen, your crossroad choices are going to find who you are and where you go.
it's going to be that important. And you're going to get thrust. They're going to be there. And you dealt with some in high school. You had to. You just live in life. You had a lot of choices, had like a lot of decisions. You go into your next step as you go to college, you're going to have some of those same choices, but then these are going to be taken up to a new level. I just want you to be prepared for it. So let me give you a counsel. Just get ready to step into college. Some things I want you to keep in mind. Number one, make the choice before you have to make the choice. Make the choice before you have to make the choice. It says in uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, and Daniel resolved, that means he purposed in his heart, he made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Listen, Daniel hadn't even seen the menu, and he'd already made his decision. He said, okay, I'm being taken from Judah, Jerusalem, and I'm having to go over here to Babylon. I will not defile myself. He's resolved in his heart. I'm not going to defile myself. He didn't have to make a split-second choice under the pressures of the moment. He'd already determined the path that he would choose. He didn't panic when the king's meat and wine were placed in front of him on that cafeteria line. Instead, he simply recalled his commitment not to defile himself, and he acted on it. He said, I'm not going to do this. And he says, hey, call the guy over here and say, hey, I don't, I don't want to defile myself. I, I'm just going to have to say no to this. But in a respectful, civil matter, he didn't whine about it. He didn't, oh, woe is me it. He just handled it with a young person with some wisdom and respect and civility. And he said, hey, I, I don't, this is asking me to defile myself. Let me explain my position. And then offers an, an alternative on there. And see, the choice for him was not a split-second choice. It was that he recalled his commitment not to defile himself. He acted on it. The choice had already been made in the quiet moments between Daniel and God. And then God gave him the courage to follow through. So if you've got a couple of months this summer before you step into college, I would really encourage you to spend those times with the Lord and to say, let me just build up some, some wonderful spiritual capital of, of sitting here and praying to God and, and letting him fill my heart and fill my soul. And I want to be prepared so when I get on the campus, then all of a sudden, those decisions are really already made. A statement I'd like for you to hang on to is this. Draw the line early so everyone who comes in contact knows where you stand. Draw the line early so everyone who comes in contact knows where you stand. When you get to campus that first year, you're going to have to draw a lot of lines. You've got to draw the line. You're going to draw the line to say, you know what, I'm going to make the choice to be sexually pure so that when you're pressured to make a decision, you don't have to try to figure out and figure out what you want to say. Just go and draw the line. Draw the line early so everyone who comes in contact knows where you stand. I drew the line for me. I made it a choice that I would abstain from alcohol. I wasn't going to drink. didn't drink in high school. didn't say you need to drink in college. So I told God, I said, I'm going off to college. don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to drink alcohol. And so God placed me in a fraternity. No alcohol there. Um, and, and so of all places for me to be placed into was there in a fraternity. And, uh, and I'd been there less than a month, and all of a sudden there was a keg party. Um, the good thing about our fraternity is they would not use your dues to pay alcohol, but if they were going to have a keg party, then they would come and you'd, you'd give like $5 and you'd be a part of that. And one of the most intimidating brothers came around the corner, I can still see where I was standing, and he said, hey, hey, look, I need your $5 uh, for the keg party. Now, I'm like five foot nothing, about 120 pounds at that time, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there shaking at him, and you know, I, it's a paper cut thing. I could have just given him the $5, couldn't I? 
or so. But I had to look him in the eyes and say, hey, Ray, I, you know, I don't drink. And so don't really see myself being there and <laughs> don't think my $5 is going <laughs> to help me out on there. And, uh, and his response, he looked at me and says, I respect that. Appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> you go. It's, you'd, you'd already made the decision. Now, if I'd gone to college and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, as soon as this big guy asked me, I would have given in. I was pretty intimidated. But see, I'd already resolved in my heart. And so God had already told me, this is what you're going to do, this is the stand you're going to make. So I was able, able to make that stand. Make the choice to be ethical. Make the choice to act with integrity. Make the choice before you have to make the choice. And then once you walk on the campus, it's going to make those decisions a whole lot easier. There'll still be pressures. But once you have purposed in your heart, it's exactly what Daniel did, it makes it easier. Number two is this, hide God's word in your heart. Hide God's word in your heart. This is not about you bowing up and being strong. This is about you hiding God's word in your heart. Psalm 119, 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not what? That I might not sin against you. See, I've got God's word in my heart so I may not sin against you. You put God's word in your heart and when those situations come in, God, through his Holy Spirit, will bring those verses of scripture back up to your memory and you'll see that and you'll go, you know what? I need to go this way because it's in keeping with God's word. Daniel knew the book of the law. He knew the dietary laws. He had a conviction about God's word and he knew to say no. Recall those verses of scripture. Number three is this, constantly ask for God's wisdom. Constantly ask for God's wisdom. Uh, James chapter one, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Listen, folks, this is a blank check of wisdom that God is saying, hey, if you'll just ask me, I'll give you wisdom on this. There are gonna be some times that are gonna come up in these next four years that you're gonna have to make some tough calls. You just need some wisdom. That's where you pray and say, God, give me that wisdom. And God says he will give you that wisdom. What I was most impressed about in this whole first chapter of Daniel was the wisdom that God gave him as some teenager to go up to this uh, guy who was in charge of everything and come up with this plan to say, could we do a 10-day test? That's nothing but the wisdom of God. Most teenagers wouldn't have come up with that. I know I wouldn't have. But through the power of God and through the wisdom of God, he was able to come up with this, and it worked. And number four is take seriously your sphere of influence. Take seriously your sphere of influence. Daniel was aware enough to know that they were grooming him for something big. That's why they brought these, these kids from Judah. This is why they put them in a three-year training program. And he knew, he didn't sit there and say, oh, I wish I was back in Jerusalem. No, I'm here in Babylon for now. I don't know how long, but they're getting ready to groom me for something. And so this is going to be my sphere of influence. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to be an influence for the Lord. I'm going to be an influence for God. And I'm going to prepare myself so that I can be used for that. For you, you've been chosen. God has appointed you. You're in a particular college. This is your sphere of influence. And if you want to be known as a young man, a young woman is serving God, this is where you make those choices for that to happen. Take this seriously and use this influence to point other people to Jesus Christ. I remember I read a statement one day that kind of stuck with me. It says, you may have one moment where God can redefine everything in another person's life. Be prepared to allow God to speak through you. Now just think about that.
You're going to be at your college campus. You're going to intersect your lives with a lot of people. There will probably come a time where you will have a moment to speak into a person's life that will completely redefine their life for eternity. And what it means is that 20 years from now, when they're sitting there and they're talking to their kids and they begin to tell their story, they're going to say, well, you know, it was when I was on that college campus and that young guy or that young gal spoke into my life and it changed everything. He said, I, I joined a fraternity at Auburn. It was, it was Lambda Chi. And I went there in 1971. And when I went for the rush, they kept telling me there was a guy named Buster Holmes that I needed to meet. And I met him at the end of rush. And the reason I was supposed to meet him is because they knew I was a Christian. So they tried to uh, match you up with other Christian believers. And Buster was sort of like the patron saint, it seemed. And when I met him, I understood. And then when I heard his story, when Buster came and he joined the fraternity, he sat in the car with a guy named Bob Sims. And they would sit in the car and they prayed for the fraternity. They prayed that God would get a hold of men's lives in a fraternity. That's an odd place, a social fraternity, for God to get a hold of men's lives. But that's what they prayed for. And so in the late 60s, that was their prayer. And by the time the 70s came, all of a sudden, a couple guys came to know Christ. And when they came to know Christ, they began to have another influence in there. And they stepped out, and when they graduated, they went involved in ministry. There was a guy named David Tucker who made decision for Christ. who's planting churches in Italy. There was a guy named Jack Parker who made decision for Christ, and he works with crew, and he's working even now today in the city of Birmingham working with crew. And Buster led his roommate, Jim McCool, to Christ, but then he had another young guy that came in to be his roommate, a guy named Bill Thrasher, guy, one of the smartest guys in all the fraternity, got everything ahead of him, and uh, he led him to Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, Bill Thrasher, after Buster graduated, began to pour his life into people. And he found a guy named Steve Galloway, led him to Christ. And Steve Galloway worked with crew for a while overseas and in China. And then all of a sudden, brought in another guy over here, Gary Sanders, and helped lead him to Christ and build up in his walk. And Gary Sanders went and became a pastor. And now he's got a huge military ministry there in Virginia. And then Bill Thrasher, what did he do? He was the outstanding business student in all of Auburn University. He had offers from all over the world to work. And he says, no, God's called me to go to seminary. And he's now a professor at the Moody Bible Institute. He's an author, he's a professor, and he's constantly pouring into people's lives. How did all that happen, guys? It was a guy named Buster Holmes and a guy named Bob Sims who had a heart for this group of men in a house called Lambda Chi Alpha. And they prayed about it, and they lived it, and they were influences. And they were the guys that when people were going through difficult times would go by their rooms and talk to them because there was something different about them. And you began to see this tree of influence, these roots that began to spread on and on. It's because these guys got serious about it. The last thing is this, and that is to leave a Christ-honoring legacy. When you leave a university... What are you going to leave it with? Well, you'll leave it with your address because the alumni is going to contact you because they want you to give back to the university. I can tell you that. And they'll contact you a bunch, okay, uh, on there. But what will you leave? You know, they talk about what you take away. What you take away is you, you get to get your, um, you get a diploma and hopefully you get some business contacts and you get to go this next level. But to, to, to me, what will you leave there? What will you leave there? And I pray it will be a Christ-honoring legacy.
because that'll always be there. His college days don't just come and go. One day you're going to meet somebody, maybe get married, and they're going to say, tell me about your college days. There are going to be times when you cross paths with other people who are there at college with you. What will their comments be? What will their stories be? What will they say? What happens when those people that you graduated with get to meet your children one day and say, oh, you should have seen your dad when he was at school. You should have seen your mom when she was there at school. What does that, what does that communicate? What do you want that to communicate? Wouldn't it be great to have a Christ-honoring legacy? Because I'm telling you, anytime somebody says anything about a Bill Thrasher or a Buster Holmes or whatever, whatever it is they do, we always drive it back and talk about what they did and what they did there and the legacy that they left. These guys, these four guys here, <laughs> well, every one of them left an amazing legacy. Uh, don't have time to go into it, but you know, there's that time where they had everybody bow down and, and uh, these three, Daniel was not there, but the other three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow down to the image, so they brought him in. They said, bow or burn. I got a big fire, and they said, hey, we're not sure if God's going to save us or not. He can if he wants to, but if he doesn't, we're still going to serve him. They threw him in the fire, and when they threw him in the fire, nothing happened. They didn't burn up, and they walked back out, and all of a sudden, the ruler at that time says, everybody needs to praise the God that these men serve because they'd taken their stand. And then all of a sudden, people were mad at Daniel, and they were trying to catch him. And they said, hey, king, anybody that prays to, to any other god but you, they should be thrown in the lion's den. Well, Daniel, he's going to keep praying. He kept doing it. And all of a sudden, they arrested him. They threw him in the lion's den, woke up the next morning, and he's down there just, you know, playing, got a flashlight, doing this, and little kitty cats going around. <laughs> no, he's just down there with the lion, and nothing's happened to him. And they pull him out. And when they pull him out, the ruler says, oh, you've got a great god. Will everyone needs to serve your great god. I mean, it was a Christ-honoring legacy. And it all began in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, when they said in the cafeteria line, are you going to eat this or not? And he purposed in his heart not to be defiled. That's my challenge for you. Purpose in your heart not to be defiled. And then you can step into your college and have some of the most amazing years of your life. You will learn more than you've ever learned. You'll make friendships of people that will be in your wedding one day. You'll get people that become relationships that you will carry with you all the way into your senior adult years. And there's just something about those bonds of friendship that are put together there at school. You got that opportunity. But while you're there, leave that Christ-honoring legacy, okay? You'll never regret it. Let me leave us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you show us people's lives in the Bible who have had to make decisions similar to the things that we have to make. And I thank you for, for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, and the decision that they made. And so I, I pray specifically for our students that are taking that next step that they would purpose in their heart not to be defiled and that they would go looking as a sphere of influence, that they would see where you've placed them and that they would be an influence for you and that you would use them in mighty ways on those particular college campuses to begin a revival to where the sparks of revival began to fly and that people would begin to look at the name of Jesus and they would honor his name and they would fall on their faces before you and know that you are holy, you are loving, you are righteous, you are merciful. And that they would begin to see this happen through their four years. 
may be a time that you use them in some powerful ways. And Lord, not just them, but each person here, all of us here in this worship center, help us not to give in to Satan's lies of paper-cut temptations. Help us not to compromise in the small things, but that on everything, purpose in our hearts, not to be defiled. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.